Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Good morning, I'm Lin Lee, and this is Morning Shot. China's economy slid into deflation as consumer prices declined in July for the first time in over two years. This comes as the world's second largest economy battles weak imports and exports, as well as a lackluster consumer appetite. After pandemic restrictions were cut, most developed countries saw a boom in consumer spending. The huge rise in demand for goods that were limited in supply coupled with rising energy costs after Russia's invasion of Ukraine caused prices to inflate. But in China, that didn't happen. Poor consumer appetite is fueling a price war. So, for example, at certain restaurant outlets in Beijing, you could treat yourself to a breakfast buffet for about 50 cents. For more on how China's deflation is looking, we are joined by Lim Taiwei, a Zhang Senior Research Fellow at the National University of Singapore's East Asian Institute. Welcome, Taiwei. Good morning. Good morning. Now, let's talk about that price war in China. How pervasive is that across the various sectors and how will that affect their smaller businesses domestically? Well, uh, the uh, China has been uh, moving towards uh, domestic consumption for some time and their companies are known to be fiercely competitive. Mm-hmm. So some uh, analysts would see this as an evolutionary process in which the stronger and more competitive companies uh, will survive uh, the price war, particularly in a period where consumer demand is weaker. Uh, there are also specific reasons, for example, electric vehicles. Uh, there's also a price war going on. And specific reasons for this particular product is that the uh, subsidies have, have ended uh, in December last year uh, after 13 years uh, in place. And also uh, the fact that uh, the demand uh, for the EV uh, is also not as strong as before. So uh, you can uh, sort of get uh, cars, for example, at about $7,000 for EV. And there are 300 domestic uh, EV manufacturers in China right now. So it's uh, quite likely that with the fierce competition, uh, kind of evolutionary process would uh, probably weed out the weaker players. Taiwei, mm, back in the 1990s, Japan too witnessed deflation. So would you say this is history repeating itself, perhaps with China? And how much would the latest development weigh on China's economic growth compared to what Japan saw? Well, uh, there are some similarities between the two. For example, uh, both as sort of facing the, the common challenge of uh, aging population, uh, which brings about weaker uh, consumer demand and weaker consumption. That's uh, one sort of commonality that you can see. Another one is also the um, premium place on uh, infrastructure building, uh, Keynesian uh, economics. There are also some similarities in the area. Uh, having said that, there are also uh, differences uh, between the two. In the case of Japan, when the deflation happened, the uh, Japanese economy was far more uh, sort of developed than the stage that uh, China is at right now. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, Japan is also a much uh, smaller country, a uh, small population. So perhaps the uh, turnaround and policies to bring about changes uh, would probably be uh, a lot less complicated. And the political systems between the two are also very different. So uh, there are different conditionalities in that sense. Hmm. So China produces a significant bulk of goods sold around the world, as we know. With falling prices in China, will that maybe also curb rising prices of consumer goods in other parts of the world? Well, certainly uh, the uh, lower prices would ease uh, sort of inflationary pressures both within and also uh, outside China. But of course, uh, as you know, uh, China being the second largest economy in the world, 
uh, is also a uh, economic uh, growth engine. So if uh, consumption uh, for its goods drop uh, within China itself and also uh, in terms of its exports to other countries, Overall, the world economy would also be uh, sort of affected by the slower consumption in China itself. So it's kind of like a double-edged uh, sword. Mm -hmm. On one hand, uh, it eases the inflationary pressure. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, it does impact on uh, economic growth. What about uh, manufacturers? What kind of effects will price cut Chinese goods have on manufacturers elsewhere? Uh, well, for manufacturers, you know, Certainly, the deflationary uh, pressures uh, in China would uh, make their exports more competitive. It would also result perhaps in, a, at least at this point of time, a gradually uh, comparatively weaker uh, yuan. Uh, so this would sort of make the export from China more competitive. Although in other countries, there are also currencies that are dropping, particularly manuf manufacturing powerhouses like uh, Japan, the declining uh, yuan, I think it's currently at uh, 144 mm -hmm, point mm -hmm. something to the dollar. So in that sense, uh, it's not unique to China that the currency is sort of becoming softer and helping the exports. So it remains to be seen uh, what happens to the uh, actual competition. At the same time, there's also the factor of trade wars, mm. economic uh, rivalries uh, between the great uh, superpowers, and this would probably also have an impact on the issue as well. You're talking about that. Chinese firms, we're seeing them setting up factories close to Southeast Asian countries to avoid U.S. tariffs, obviously eyeing ASEAN trade ties. But beyond taking advantage of low prices, should ASEAN nations be wary about falling into a geopolitical trap between the U.S. and China? Well, uh, China's uh, salaries and wages uh, is, themselves have uh, also increased. So particularly for manpower-intensive, uh, price-sensitive uh, industries, uh, it makes sense to uh, move you know, to lower-cost locations. So uh, that is one factor on top of the uh, ability to avoid the tariffs uh, that has uh, sort of pushed uh, Chinese uh, firms uh, to invest and move uh, plants to uh, Southeast Asia. So indeed, uh, that's good news for uh, Southeast Asia. For each uh, Southeast Asian countries, there are 10 of them, uh, they would have to decide uh, based on their own uh, national agenda uh, what kind of investments uh, would fit uh, into their developmental uh, plans and uh, perhaps do their homework on what kind of industries and technological uh, transfer they want uh, through uh, these kinds of investments. So China does offer a lot of uh, advanced technologies that uh, would probably be appealing to some Southeast Asian countries, uh, particularly in Industry 4.0 digital technologies, which uh, may help to uh, leapfrog, help the uh, Southeast Asian countries to leapfrog uh, in terms of uh, economic development. So in general, uh, I think uh, the Southeast Asian countries would benefit from this uh, relocation of plants and factories and also the foreign direct investments from China into the region. Now, Singapore and China do share close bilateral and trade ties. And on Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi's recent trip here, DPM Lawrence Wong expressed in principle support for China's interest in joining the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP. So how might China's current economic situation affect its business flows with its trade partners? Uh, I think certainly uh, Singapore has uh, indicated since at least uh, last year or the year before that mm -hmm. uh, it is supportive uh, for uh, China to join the CPTPP. CPTPP is sort of uh, different from RCEP uh, in the sense that it is uh, conceptualized as a golden benchmark of uh, free trade uh, agreements. And therefore, uh, the conditionalities for joining a CPTPP is much, they're much higher. 
uh, in the arenas of, uh, say, environmental, uh, you know, uh, integrity, uh, labor uh, rights, uh, etc., and also uh, certain uh, conditionalities on state-owned uh, enterprises. So the the bar is much higher uh, in terms of conditionality. So it remains, you know, to be seen uh, how China will uh, navigate uh, those conditionalities. In addition to uh, the fact that they would have to lobby all members, uh, the current uh, pre-existing members, in order to join the CPTPP, this would include Australia and uh, soon to be uh, United Kingdom and uh, Japan. Uh, so it remains to be seen uh, how skillful they are in uh, trying to lobby uh, these countries uh, to join. Uh, certainly, they are, these are the uh, the barriers or challenges they have to uh, sort of overcome. Now, those efforts, uh, including building confidence among investors and consumers, will be key to China's recovery. Do you think injecting some sort of stimulus is the only way its government can get the economy going? Certainly, uh, many uh, economists and analysts uh, and market observers uh, very much hope that Chinese government would have some uh, stimulus package. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is because uh, weakening demand is consumer, uh, you know, demand is uh, affecting the economy, which uh, as I mentioned uh, for some years, for some time, it has been shifting towards uh, domestically uh, driven uh, consumption. And one reason is because uh, the Chinese uh, consumers and the population in general, they are saving a lot due to the fact that Chinese welfare system are not uh, fully in place or existing yet. Uh, and also the fact that there are global uncertainties and uh, political economic uncertainties that have uh, motivated the Chinese people to save up. In fact, uh, the household savings has uh, really uh, swelled up to uh, 133 mm. trillion uh, Chinese yuan. Mm. So that's a massive amount, yeah. uh, which, uh, you know, observers, market observers hope to unlock in terms of uh, spending, particularly hoping for revenge uh, spending after the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus, which uh, happened in the first half of the year, but uh, has uh, tapered down uh, since then. In that sense, many uh, are hoping that this will happen. Of, of course, there will be uh, political considerations in the Chinese government making any decisions on that, given that... Uh, they have uh, set themselves a modest uh, 5% growth uh, this year. And the first half of the year, they managed to grow 5.5%. So it remains to be seen uh, whether in terms of domestic uh, political factors, whether it's right or uh, the correct time uh, for them to uh, come up with a stimulus uh, policy. So the, market, uh, the markets are certainly uh, watching uh, very closely. All right. Thank you very much for your time today, Taiwei. Anytime. Yeah, you have a good day ahead. We'll be speaking with him, Taiwei, a Jiang Senior Research Fellow at the National University of Singapore's East Asian Institute. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.